Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. You know, we talk about co-ops, economy, people's financial health and wealth. We talk about marginalized communities and how co-ops can help benefit them each Thursday. And I get excited about these conversations, and I'm extremely excited about having David Hinkapi back on with us today. He's the Economic Development Specialist with the Small Business Administration. Good morning, David. Good morning. Thank you for being on this morning, for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk about uh, Small Business Administration and COVID and co-ops and all of that. Let so, do it. David, um, a little bit about you first. We're where are you from, and how did you get your job with the SBA? Well, I'm originally from Southern California, and um, by a very circuitous route and um, the different branching pathways life can take you, I ended up in Washington, D.C., working at the Small Business Administration. So I'm an economic development specialist here. I'm one of several uh, in the office every District in the district office for the DC uh, district, the DC metro area district of the SBA. There are 68 district offices around the country, and each of them has, you know, a few economic development specialists like me and lender relations specialists. The EDSs, we uh, we do training for both the small businesses and for the partner organizations that we work with to promote economic development, to help people start and grow and maintain small businesses. Uh, the lender relations specialists, they work with the lenders who work with the SBA lending programs and also with the businesses. So there's a little bit of overlap in the duties. And the SBA generally is a small business administration, which was started in 1953. And its mission is to foster uh, the, the creation and the development of small businesses. So what kind of education do you need to get a, to become a small business development specialist? Well, I mean, there's, there's no specific um, thing. Usually people come to it by way of having worked in small business development already, right? So it's not like you have to have an MBA or study business. Um, you know, most people who are really successful in business didn't study business. So I worked before this in a nonprofit in California that uh, helped veterans uh, who were starting small businesses. We did small loans with them. We did a mentoring program with them. Uh, it was a very intensive two-year mentoring program that we would do. The mentors were all business owners. Uh, about a third of them were veterans themselves. And, you know, we'd take them from idea to launch. Uh, they'd come to us after having been in the military and, tell us what their idea was, and we try to help them get it going. Uh, 
So that was my experience. Other people come from small business lending, uh, having worked as a loan officer uh, in a bank. Other people come from different kinds of nonprofits. It's just anything involved in small business can lead you to the SBN this way. So in, in 1953, the U.S. government formed the Small Business Administration, and what's its main mission? The mission is to help people start and, and grow small businesses. So your, your experience in Southern California, is that L.A. or San Diego? Los Angeles, yeah, okay. actually. So in Los Angeles, you were helping small business to get started and grow, and that's what the function of SBA, so you had to move right into it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a relatively easy move move because of what I was already doing. So is it easy move weather wise, particularly this time of year? Oh yeah. I mean, it's this is this is nothing actually because I was I, I spent two years in Korea when I was in the army, and then I was in Fort Drum my last year in the army. Fort Drum is thirty minutes from Canada, so you know these winters here uh, they're nothing. <laughs> Got it. So the EDSs are just doing small business development specialists are just doing that. That's what you do is to help businesses get started and to grow, prosper. Our job, yeah, it's not primarily to deal in, with individual business owners, right? It's we do that, but we try to 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 make our uh, to make our work have more impact. We do it with the resource partners, and the resource partners are the there's four resource partners that are partly funded by the SBA. They're not SBA employees, but they're nonprofits that are partly funded by the SBA to go out and do this work. And that's the somewhat famous small business development centers, the women's business centers, the veterans business outreach centers, and then the SCORE mentors. And SCORE is a mentoring organization that's been around since I think the 60s. The SBDCs, the WBCs, and the VBOCs, those are the three that I mentioned. The, the general one, small business development center, Women's Business Center started in the late 80s, and the Veterans Business Outreach Center started in the mid-aughts. And all of those do essentially the same thing. You go to them, you say, I have a small business idea, or I started a little cottage business in my garage or my house, and I want to expand it. What should I do? And all the business advisors there will help you, and it's free. All of that is free at the point of service. Um, Every now and then they'll have, uh, offer little classes for like 25 bucks or 50 bucks. I remember seeing them in LA for like a multi-week uh, QuickBooks class or something um, to, to, to teach you that. Uh, the SCORE mentors, they have you know classes like that too. But generally speaking, the mentoring and all the business advice is free. And the SCORE mentors, they're a little different because the mentors are all retired business owners or semi-retired. You know, they're... They're in the last few years of running their business, then they're going to be selling it or shutting it down when they retire. And they volunteer to mentor. So you connect with a score chapter local to you and tell them what you're looking to do or learn about learn about or, or expand. And they'll connect you with somebody who knows something about that. So it's all free. At at Howard University, there's a small business center. Small business. Yep, small business development center, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, so I'm familiar with that one. And you have those all throughout this DMV? Right. So so they're usually uh, organized at the state level, right? So there's the Small Business Development Center of Virginia, and then there's the one for Maryland, and then there's the one for D.C., taking D.C. as its own state, if only. Um, so When? Um, when? <laughs> yeah, when, right? Um, so 
you know, we cover three counties in Northern Virginia, Fairfax, Loudoun, and Arlington, and two counties in uh, Prince George's and Montgomery. So there's a small business development center there in Maryland in those areas. There's small business development centers in Northern Virginia, and there's one in D.C. Same with the WBC. The VBOX, we don't have as many of the VBOX. That's the Veteran Business Outreach Center. Uh, we don't have as many of them, so they cover a much wider area. So the one that's in College Park in Maryland, uh, they cover actually way up into Pennsylvania, other parts of Virginia, et cetera. But there is one for this area. So how does one find out if for somebody out there listening and they want to start a business? And I'm hoping because of this show, it's a co-op business. How would they get support from Small Business Administration? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to. So we we used to do this at the nonprofit where I worked. It was called the Jonas Project. And we, we, we realized that a lot of people have an idea, but what they're not what they haven't done yet is really narrowed it down and figured out what exactly they want to do. Right. And it's very simple. And we came down to like, we had like four questions. All right. What, what are you selling? Who are you going to sell it to? How much is it going to cost you to make it, to sell it, right? whether it's a service or a product? And how much do you think you could, you're, you're going to charge for it? You know, how, and how many do you, how many of these things do you, how many, units do you think you're going to sell a month really fundamental basic stuff right and it immediately forces you into concrete questions instead of the big dream the big dream is fine the big dream is the whole reason you're there in the first place but you 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 can't just dream about about building a building Right. Mm-hmm. You, you you could be an artist and draw the building, but then you got to have people to pour cement, yeah. <laughs> you know, or frame it or some. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we're going to ask you these questions to get into these details. All right. So uh, I get your dream. That's the that's the thing that you want to build. OK, now we're going to start doing the foundation, pouring cement, getting dirty. And getting dirty for planning a business, essentially what that means is get out a piece of paper, get out a pencil, get out a calculator and start working, right? So that's the first, very, very first step. Once you've answered that question and you don't have to have great answers, just have an answer. Then go to the SBDC uh, or go to go to the Women's Business Center or go to the SCORE Mentors or, and begin asking questions. Uh, so this is my idea. This is this. The, I've, I've asked myself these four or five questions. I have these answers. Where do I go? Like, what should I do next? next. And then you you go little by little by little, right? It's step by step by step. Yeah. One of the biggest things that we, problems that we had, uh, I remember at the Jonas Project, is everybody's got a huge dream and they get very caught up in this dream. And but that dream is ten years away. We we need to talk about what you're going to do tomorrow. Actually, we need to talk about what you're going to do when we get off the phone right now. What are you going to do, right? So again, I think I'm going to I'm going to keep this uh, building analogy. We're going to have to pour some cement, put up a frame, you know, pound some nails, right? <laughs> like, that's how that's how we're going to make that beautiful building that you want to build. But right now, we got to focus on this. So start with that, and then go to the SBDC, go to the Women's Business Center, go to the to the Veteran Business Outreach Center, the Score Mentors, and start getting help there. And the way to find them is on the SBA website, sba.gov, uh, www.sba.gov. You click on local assistance, 
and you do a search according to your zip code. And then you're going to get the first result is going to be your local district office. So you'll get us if you're in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll list the other ones. And you can even in the little drop down box, you'll see it when you get there. We've all we've all been on the Internet. We've, we all know what searches look like. You click the drop down box and you can choose Women's Business Center. You can choose Veteran Business Outreach Center. Or you can choose all of them. Right. Just click all and you can see everything that's available. And by the way, you're not limited. So if you're if the Women's Business Center serves men as well. Right. The Veteran Business Outreach Center is for veterans and military families. But the veterans veterans can go to the Small Business Development Center. Go to all of them. Go to go to whichever get, would get be appropriate help. and get help. And then just see who you have chemistry with. Because you might find you might be a veteran and, and you talk to somebody at the Veteran Business Outreach Center and, I, you know, whatever, you don't hit it off. You don't like the same basketball team or something. I don't know. You don't hit it off. But then you go to the SBDC and you find someone there you really hit it off with. Or you go to the WBC or you go to the SCORE chapter for the mentors. Just see who you hit it off with because that's that's going to be useful. So that's the way to get going. I wish I had that advice when I started my property management business about 30 years ago. Because I went to score, I didn't find anybody there. I went to the Howard Small Business Development Center. I didn't. I wouldn't have thought to go to the Women's Development Center. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> even around 30 years ago. But I, I ended up not getting the help I was looking for. David, we're going to take our first break. And um, I want to come back and talk to you about COVID and mm-hmm. SBA's response to COVID, uh, the government's response to COVID. Uh, and what people can do now you have with those resources. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and Mr. David Hickampy is our guest today. He's an economic development specialist with the SBA, with the Small Business Development Center. And you can, if you're thinking about a business, starting a business, or you're in a business and you need help, you can go to sba.gov on the web and uh, look at local uh, assistance, and you can find small business development centers, women development centers, veterans development centers, or SCORE. SCORE is a mentoring program with retired business folks in there, and you can get help. David has told us, though, if you're starting a business, you want to ask yourself several very simple questions. What are you going to be selling? Who will you be selling to? What's the cost of what you're selling? What will you charge for what you're producing, your product or your services? And how many units are what kind of amount of services will you provide in a particular given month or so? Get those answers to those simple questions and then go in and get some help with what the next steps are. Thank you, David. I Again, I wish I had had that 30 years ago to get help from the Small Business Administration. But what I said I wanted to talk about next was COVID. What has been, when COVID happened, and I'm going back to February, March of 2020, what was the immediate response small businesses? What happened to small businesses when COVID first happened? Well, what happened to a lot of small businesses is uh, they ran out of cash, which 
since you've been working with this for so long, you know, this is one of the cliches, right? One of the, one of the things that, uh, statistics that gets repeated over and over and over again. And it's mostly true, depending on who's doing the measuring that, you know, 80% of small businesses fail within the first year and whatever within the first five years. And then also there's another truth, which is that businesses fail because they run out of cash. So in other words, they don't fail because they're not making sales. They fail because they run out of cash to meet their immediate obligations, meaning their lease, perhaps payroll. They, they have the potential to make sales, but they have no cash to meet immediate obligations, so they cannot continue. That's why they fail. All right, so we, we know these things are true, and we've known that for a very long time. Let me yes. just ask you a question about that. So here's what I'm hearing you say um, with my experience that I could be selling uh, some form of a widget. Mm -hmm. And I sell that widget, and I sell it to people in 30 days net. So I have a, I don't have cash coming in. I have a note coming back. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I've got to make payroll, and I've got to pay rent. So after that first month, hopefully after that first month, people will pay me, and then I can make all these payments. But as we all know, some people don't pay in 30 days. They may go 60, 90, or you have to take them to court with your re managing your receivables and how you do that. So I could be selling enough widgets to be profitable but not have enough cash to pay my bills. That's what you're saying. Exactly. You're going to be profitable if you're able to extend your own obligations until the end of the year by the time you collect all the money that's owed to you so you can pay your obligations, right? Okay. But but your obligations don't wait until the end of the year. You got they they come in the month. month. They might come in the quarter. Right? Right. So you just don't, you ran out of cash. What are you going to do in between the time you made the product and sold it or or rendered the service in between the time you did that? and the time you get paid. In the meantime, you have obligations. We've all experienced this in our real life, right? I can remember being a very young and very poor <laughs> and, and thinking like, I, I, I gotta pay this now, but my paycheck doesn't come for another two weeks, right? Yeah. I have an obligation, right? So, you know, okay. So it's that situation that happens to businesses and they run out of cash, right? So what happened to businesses in COVID? They ran out of cash fast. And, you know, I've mentioned this, that there, there was a study done in 2019 by the JP Morgan Institute. They had two-part study done in August 2019 and September 2019, which I read, and it was about uh, small business cash flow in uh, 20 or 25 major cities, right? Small, And so they went and surveyed and discovered that the median number of reserve cash days for small businesses in these cities was 11 days. Wait a minute, 11 days? 11 days. When you say median, that's the average. So the median, average- Not the average, the median, the middle, the middle number. Okay. All right. The so, <laughs> like I couldn't believe it, right? I had, my reaction was your reaction. <laughs> 11 days, what are you talking about? How can you have only 11 days of cash? meaning for whatever expenses come up that's it that's like in your life if you only had in your personal life right i only have enough I, my paycheck comes once a month say right mm -hmm. if you're like a 
some some places. I remember when I was in, in the army, it was once a month. Okay, great. I run out of cash on the 15th. What am I going to do for the next 15 days? How are you going to eat? Yeah. How are you going to eat? How are you going to pay your gas? How are you going you know, to get to your job? How are you going to do all this? Well, for businesses, they had 11 days of cash. So it can't, you can imagine if it's a, a retail place that sells things, uh, cash to pay their suppliers. Um, ca- if it's a food place, that's a, an even better example. You're going to run out of bananas. Where do we go get bananas? We don't have it. We can't get bananas for the banana splits that we're selling. Why? Because we don't have any cash. And you okay. pay payroll every seven days or 14 every, days. Yep. Yeah. One week or two right. weeks, you pay payroll. So where you right. get money to pay payroll. Exactly. And so this is what happened to businesses. And then, you know, the CARES Act was passed and that had the Paycheck Protection Program. And then we also had the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. And those were the SBA's primary responses to this to help businesses. So I just want to go back to this eleven days. I, that that floors me. That that. So I have it. I used to tell people I, there was one stat out that said that most Americans are three months away from being homeless. Okay, and that may be that there's only fifteen days of cash or thirty days of cash. But by the time somebody takes them to court, if they're a renter, tenant then to put them out on the street or by the time somebody puts a lien on their house, if it's a mortgage and then foreclose on it, it's about 90 days. So most people are about 90 days away from being homeless in America. And when you say 47% of studies said 47% of the people don't have $400 if they have an emergency, 47%. Oh yeah. That was the FDIC. I think I remember that was about 2014, 2015. They discovered this. And that's before COVID. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I wonder what yeah. if they did that study today, right. what would it what would it look like? How many Americans is that sixty percent now don't have four hundred dollars because of the number of people who have lost their jobs and da 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 da. Yeah. So, eleven days that just really floors me for businesses. Yeah. yeah. For businesses, cash. Okay. So you you get in the beginning, all of these businesses are going under they're closing their doors march february march of 2020 is that what's the world look well like? it, no they didn't they were able okay because this affected everybody you know if a business for example had a had a lease payment coming up and it was a shutdown they could go to their landlord and the landlord themselves right the landlords themselves are often leveraged it's not like they're it's not like they own the with they have a note they got to pay Right. So you go to them and you go, a lot of business went and said, look, um, there's this federal aid. I'm applying for it. I'll be able to to cover the, you know, I'll be back. I'll be, I'll be a month late or whatever. And then the, then, then the landlord will say, oh, okay. You know, and everybody came to these agreements, right? <laughs> Informal and formal, right? To, to, to handle it, to use the federal aid. So they didn't necessarily have to shut down. But they did have obligations and they had no cash coming in because there was a shutdown. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the federal aid was supposed to help you, the PPP loan and the, and the disaster loan. And the PPP loan was a forgivable loan. The disaster loan was a non-forgivable loan, but it was a very low interest loan. And that would give you the cash, the liquidity, as they say in the, in the banking world, in the finance world, the liquidity to be able to meet your short-term obligations. So PPP is Paycheck Protection Program. Yes. And that was forgivable. That was a forgivable loan, yeah. 
And that was to help you to pay your employees. Yeah, it's right there in the name. A paycheck okay. Protection Program is to help you pay the employees because you don't have any cash because everything is shut down. You have no revenue. So you have no money to pay these employees. And now the idea, the original idea behind it was we're going to, we're going to shut down for 12 weeks. And in the meantime, use this money to pay your employees and that you continue your employer employee relationship. And then when everything opens back up again, you'll be able to, they'll be able to just come back to work. That was the original idea behind it. That's why it was structured that way. And the economic injury disaster loans came next. Well, they came at the same time. They did. And that is a long term, you know, is a 30 year term, very low interest rate, 3.75% uh, interest for a for profit business. And it was a direct loan. It's a direct loan from the federal government, whereas the PPP was done through banks and other lenders. Okay. So we got the government. And you know, you know how much money the government put into these two programs? I lost track. I remember it was, originally it was like something like I think it was close to a trillion dollars. Yeah, put it was in. nine. Yeah, I mean, it was enormous. It was a lot of money to to help these businesses, to help people be yeah. able to the payroll protection, help people be able to go out and buy food, keep yeah. the economy going, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take our next break. Thank you, David. And I want to talk about what did you find out? We got eleven days of cash. But what else did you find out? What other lessons did you learn about these small businesses, in particular co-ops? We'll be right back. Okay. Your News Talk Station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Byron Oaks. The program is Everything Co-op, and we have Mr. David Hinkapee on with us. David, when we left off, you had told us that a lot of businesses only had 11 days of cash, and therefore they couldn't make their payments. The government came in with the Paycheck Protection Program, Economic Injury Disaster Loan, which was about a trillion dollars okay, to help small businesses, help employees of these small businesses. So what are other lessons that you learned as SBA was beginning to make these loans? What did, what did you find out about businesses? Well, the apparent thing was that, uh, well, that obvious thing, that this median number of 11 days of cash, emergency cash that businesses had was, in fact, correct. Because I was talking to people who were panicked. You know, on April 10th, they were panicked of 2020. Uh, and the lockdowns had just started or the shutdowns, not lockdowns, the shutdowns had just begun. So how could you run out of cash that fast? Well, I saw it happen. So why, why did that happen? And it happened. It's really complicated with the way the economy has changed in the last 40 years. But part of it is because the business owners were not financially savvy, skilled enough to manage their cash flow so that they might have something left over, so, so they might have something for an emergency. They did not have liquidity in case of an emergency. Liquidity means cash, okay. right? Or something very close to cash, right? So that expertise wasn't there. And the, the analogy that I like using is everybody was a, thought they, they were a pretty good sailor. and. Sure. When, when you have good weather and a nice 
five knot wind, 10 knot wind, pushing you along, and you think you're a really great sailor. You think, I'm, I'm good at this. And then the storm hits, and you realize, oh, I'm not. I need other skills. I'm not ready for this. Okay. So before the pandemic, lots of small business owners thought, well, I'm able to meet my obligations every month. I'm and good, I have a little left over. I'm a good business person, therefore. I'm a good business person. And then suddenly you decide, I'm a good business person when you, you realize I'm a good business person when conditions are okay. Now we have this crazy emergency. I don't have any cash. What do I do? How do I manage this? So that's what I saw. What I saw is there's a, a kind of lack of knowledge of why you have to do certain things to prepare for an emergency. And of course, you can't be setting aside money every month, every month, every month, because you still have to pay for things. But you have to have some knowledge of what to do and, and an approach. And, and so just a lot of people didn't know this. They had not thought of this. They were just trying to get through the next month and they were not thinking longer term. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's necessary. So one of the things I heard going through this in March, April, May, June of 2020 was people did not have financial statements. Oh, yeah. Small businesses, they couldn't, they couldn't apply for the loans. Is that, mm -hmm. is that part of what you found out? Part of it, yes, because applying for any kind of loan, generally speaking, the lender is going to ask for financial information on your company. Now, for a really for a typical small business where you have a, a single member LLC and maybe they hire a contractor or two, they don't even have a W two employee. You know, they're gonna they're gonna file a ten forty with a Schedule C, right? And a Schedule C is a profit or loss from business, so it's essentially a profit and loss statement. And a lot of people don't fully understand what's going on in there. They don't know really what it all means. And because they don't understand this, when uh, the lender that they're applying to asks them for this or asks them questions about it, they don't, they don't have an answer. They don't know. So this is what I mean about having to learn some stuff, right? You have to go and you have to understand what this thing is saying about your business. What does it mean, this profit? What does that actually mean? And what is the difference between being very profitable and having a lot of revenue? Because they're not the same thing. All right. You see this cliche in different books. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. Okay, great. That's true. But what does that mean? <laughs> right? So what's the difference between having a lot of revenue and having very little and having a lot of profit? And if you don't understand that, then you can't plan for the future. And then that means you won't be able to be ready for an emergency. Or the storm. So, the storm yeah. hits. If it's sunny days, yeah. good breathe, you're a great seller. Yeah. But when that storm hits and the rolling waves yeah. and wind gushing and right. okay, raining and all of that, then that's when you have to know if you can steer the boat. Yeah. Steer the business. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Exactly. And that starts with an application that starts with all of the financials. Right. And I I um I have it if if you go to the small business development center and you take those classes, most of which you said are free. Yeah. Because when anybody asks me to, to, they wanted to start a business, I'll tell them to go to SBA. I don't care what kind of education you have, high school, not high school, college, whatever. Go to SBA and put yourself in those classes. Yeah. Get in those classes. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a useful thing. It's, a, it's, 
come here and we'll give you, give you some basic knowledge and you can ask for specific information. Uh, and say, I don't understand my small business taxes. Like, where can I go? And, and if the SBDC or the Women's Business Center or whatever doesn't have anybody there who can help you, uh, they can direct you to the right place. They can tell you, okay, well, you go learn about it here. Let me go tell you about this other resource in the community that you can go use and learn about this. So you have to go out and learn new things. You, you can't just do a new thing without learning new things. You can't go start the business without learning new things. I say this over and over again. You have to go learn new stuff. And that's what's going to help you survive when there's uh, some kind of problem. So normally the SBA has a loan, I think you call it the 7A loan. What is that loan? So the 7A loan is the big SBA program. It's the 7A guaranteed loan. This means the loan is made through a lender, a bank, a preferred lending partner, as we call them. And uh, we guarantee the loan. The SBA acts as guarantor of the loan, kind of like a cosigner. Right. If the borrower doesn't pay, we'll we'll pay the loan back. Right. And then we'll go to the borrower and say, okay, we're going to do a payment plan. You're going to pay us back eventually. All right. So the guarantee is the incentive for the bank to lend to a small business because banks generally don't want to lend to small businesses because the risk is too high. There's no history. Right. That's like giving a, a home loan to a person who's 20 years old and never had a full-time job before, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, why would you do that? They don't have a history. You don't know if they can pay it back. So a small business has very little history. They don't know how profitable it's going to be. The bank doesn't know. And so they're not going to want to do it. But if we offer them a guarantee, then they're more likely to do it. Broadly speaking, that is the idea behind the 7A loan. So it's the general business loan that you could use for operating capital. You could use it for inventory. You could use it for uh, for payroll. You know, you could use it for fixtures. You could even use it for property, right, for your business. And uh, cooperatives are eligible to use these 7A loans. Um, they have been eligible for approximately four and a half years now because they were they were not eligible until 2017. So now worker cooperatives are eligible to use those. And you go and apply at one of the SBA lenders, which is like any of the of the banks that you see around the big banks, they're SBA lenders. The community, the regional banks, they are usually SBA lenders. And the, some of the community banks are, some are not, right? Okay. Um, you could go to them and ask about the 7A loan and see, and see how to apply. So how many, to the extent you know, how many co-ops have done a 7A loan? How many have done the PPP loan? And how many have done the EIDL loan. So the 7A loan is a, it's not COVID related. That's a 7A loan program that we have had for decades. Uh, to my knowledge, only one uh, cooperative has done a 7A loan, has received a 7A loan. Is that in uh, this area or, or throughout co-op? Oh, throughout, the, throughout the United States, just because oh. most, most cooperatives don't even know they're eligible for it, right? They, they don't have any connection to the SBA because for so long they were not eligible for the 7A loan. So they just didn't think about it. The co-op, the world of co-ops did not think about 7A lending. They got their lending from the banks, but not a 7A guaranteed loan, right? Whatever loan the bank was willing to make. Um, so to my knowledge, only one has been done since 2017, right? It was through the, the National Cooperative Bank and this uh, food co-op down in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Oh, fantastic. Uh, my, okay, I know that? that. I know. I'm, matter of fact, I'm a member of that co-op. I went down in oh, Georgia. okay. Had dinner down there with Rich Lower Shell, who helped to start that. I know the Fredericksburg yeah. co-op, food co-op. I've only been open. And there may years. be others in the work right now that I don't know of around the country. 
Now, as far as the PPP and the idol, I, I don't know the number, but I know it's been thousands, thousands and thousands. You know, co-op cooperatives were eligible for that from the beginning for PPP as well as idol. So the economic injury disaster loans, the, I will abbreviate mm-hmm. idol. So the PPP and idol co-ops applied for it. They received it. The idol loan, it was a little bit difficult for some of them because again, the SBA doesn't really work with co-ops hasn't in the past uh so that caused some problems in the processing of the application because the people processing it a lot of the people we we had processing helping us were temporary hires to help with the emergency right we had this sudden surge of applications and we didn't have enough people so they didn't really know that much about sba rules they didn't know about co-ops so there was a, a bit of a problem and but generally speaking, cooperatives were able to get their idle loans. It just took a little bit longer so that, you know, to, mm-hmm. to get through the process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm in touch right now still with cooperatives that have had their loans and they've applied for increases because some businesses are eligible for increases. And, um, yeah, it's working. Um, it's helped a lot of cooperatives uh, survive. It's a, it's a very favorable long-term loan. And the PPP, they applied for that and they got forgiveness. That worked out well. I mean, it was, it was very useful to a lot of businesses. You can't get any new PPP or new idol with that, right? No, you can't apply for PPP. That shut down last year, and now we're really in the process of the forgiveness of all the PPP loans, finishing that up. Most of them have been forgiven now. The vast majority, there there's some that are still forgiveness is still being worked out. And uh, the idol, you can't apply anymore, but if you already had one, you can apply for an increase, or if you were declined for some reason last year, um, you can apply for a reconsideration. So that's still available to people. You just can't apply for a brand new one. You can't put in a new application now. Okay. Okay. So the lessons learned from what you've said is it wasn't easy to do because too often people did not have the knowledge. They didn't have the financial statements. They didn't know how to do it. But there has been a lot of PPP loans in the co-op world and a lot of idle loans in the co-op world. And so yeah. one of the messages we want to get out is 7A is open for business. The 7A loan is open for business through SBA for co-ops. Yeah. Only one in the U.S. I found that very interesting. We're going to get this out on social media. I, I did not know. I'm going to figure out how to get this out and let people know they can go to SBA. Their local SBA, you say there are 64 districts? Six- 68 district offices. 68 district offices throughout the U.S. of small business development. Here in the district is the DMV where you work out of. Okay. Yeah, the Washington metro area district, uh, metropolitan area district office. It's the counties that I mentioned in D.C. All the other district offices are fully contained in one state, or they only have one per state. Ours is unusual in that it covers areas in two states and D.C., so in a low population state, say in Montana, they have one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in California, there are five district, six, five or six district offices, you know, okay. but they're all fully contained in one state. Got it. Okay, so we're going to take our final break. And what I want to come back and talk to you about, we give given a lot of knowledge about how to operate within SBA and get loans or get help, get training which is the fifth principle of cooperation. I want to talk about the future, coming out of COVID or learning how to live with COVID. Uh, What can these small businesses do? We'll be right back. 
back, everybody. This is Everything Co-op. Everything Co-op is being supported by the National Cooperative Bank. The bank has been with us for the little over eight years that we've been on the air talking about co-ops because NCB's main mission is to work for support U.S. co-ops and their members by providing financial services, innovative financial services, especially in low-income communities. And what you mentioned, uh, David, you mentioned that uh, you made a 178 loan, and you also mentioned that these loans go out through banks, and the bank was NCB, and you all guarantee that loan for the Fredericksburg Cooperative Food Co-op. So NCB is very much into this. They do a lot of housing co-ops, purchasing co-ops, consumer co-ops, all of them. They really work with co-ops, marketing co-ops, so forth. So where do you see SBA? And I want to, the first question is, I said we, everything co-op is going to send out on social media that co-ops can go get the 7A loan. But what else can, how do you see that SBA or the federal government could market or promote these loans to small businesses, particularly in, I'm thinking about co-ops? Well, I don't know what plans there are or if there are any to, you know, undertake some sort of promotion or marketing campaign or advertising or anything like that. The SBA doesn't generally do that. So I, I, I don't think that that'll happen. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What I can say is that the, the cooperatives to access this, the managers, right? The owners of the cooperatives and whatever smaller, if it's a larger one, you know, and you've got a smaller committee of people who are making some decisions, you have to think about lending from the bank's point of view and how a cooperative looks to a bank, right? Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, the bank wants to be repaid. Fundamentally, the primary source of repayment is cash. We talked a little bit about cash flow earlier. Mm -hmm. And so the bank needs, if the bank doesn't understand a cooperative structure and how money flows through it, then they're not going to want to do the loan because the loans are ultimately, the decisions are ultimately made by human beings. And they, if they don't understand the structure of the business, they're not going to do the loan. I mean, it's that simple. If I don't understand how money goes through this business and how there's going to be money left over to pay back my bank, I'm not going to do the deal. So cooperatives and the people who lead them and manage them are going to have to learn how to communicate that to banks that are that might be interested in doing a 7a loan for them whether it's for the conversion of a business to a co-op or whether it's just a general business loan right for operations to be used for operations the funds you know so you have to be able to explain how money comes in what happens to it in there translate the patronage into bank language right i had to learn that i didn't know what patronage was now i know what it is uh but you have to translate that into bank language okay so this is this is what this is this is how the money flows this is how we have money left over this is what we do with the undispersed so i get that so patronage for everybody out there patronage when they're the profit the co-op decides what to do with that profit and it normally can about three different buckets they put it in they can keep it in the in the company for growth they can put, right. put money into the community, like give out to 
help homeless or whatever to help the community. And the third one is to give out dividends or it's called patronage to the the owners of the co-op. If a worker right. co-op, that would be the employees. So the employees can get a, a, a hourly pay or salary, plus they can get dividends or patronage. So these are the three things that normally happens with the money in for a co-op when it comes in. And getting banks to understand that is what you're saying has to happen. Yes, because if you use co-op language to a bank that's never done a loan to a co-op, they're not going to know what you're talking about. This is this is really basic and fundamental, which you could learn pretty fast, right? The structure that you've just described here is very similar to uh, a, a multi-member LLC that files taxes as an S-corporation. Let's say you and I, Vernon, and a couple of other people, we, we're, we, we have members in this LLC, we file as an S-corporation. And we are at the same time owners and employees. We are, we are W-2 employees with salaries. And then we also, at the end of the year, because we're the owners of the S, we have distributions. Okay, so you think of the distributions as a patronage and the salaries as salaries, just like mm-hmm. you would have in a co-op. And you, so you have to explain this. But I want to go back to one thing that you said about keeping money in the company. And a, and a second thing that you said something about what you do with the money, you use it in the community. Mm-hmm. So about keeping money in the company, if you are always taking money out of the company, and this is something we tell the small business owners all the time about getting started, even with a, a, a micro loan, which is uh, 50,000 or less, right? SBA micro loans are 50,000 or less. Uh, if you are not keeping money in the company, then future potential lenders are going to go, well, how is this company going to pay me back? Mm-hmm. If the money's already, already getting taken out, the capital is our, keeps getting taken out by the owner for themselves to do whatever they want to do, how is this company going to pay me back? So that's one thing. So the co-op cooperative has to think about this. You have to think about yourself as a as a as this entity that is producing value and create and getting money. And what are you doing with that money? Is it going all to the worker owners? Now the other thing, or is are you keeping something in it so the business can grow and generate more money and pay back its loans? Right. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing about using money in the community, I don't want to discourage anyone from spending money in the community to help your community. But I remember one thing when I was at the Jonas Project and we'd get veterans come in and want to start a business. Oh, this is very common. They'd get so you come out of the military and uh if if people don't already know this, you come out. The military is an interesting thing, and I I loved my time in it because you get this very collective attitude, right? And which is all for one and one for all. I mean, it's like the three musketeers, right? Mm -hmm. And you take care of each other, right? So a lot of veterans come out with an idea to start a business and also a nonprofit, right? And they have a mission, a, a community mission, a social mission, something they want to do. And then they also want to have this business. Now, of course, you can't start. It's very difficult to start two things because a nonprofit is still a business. Mm-hmm. You have to start two things at once. And our head mentor, she was so wise about this. <laughs> she used to say to them, you know, you have to make the money first before you can give it away. Yep. So anybody out there in a small nonprofit that's giving a lot of its money away in the community because, you know, it's one of the co-op principles. You want to make your community better. If 
if you're constantly giving your money away, you have nothing left over to pay back a loan or expand with. So think about that. And so what we used to say to the veterans, and this is going to be different for an organization, we used to say, look, you, if you need to satisfy that desire to help, don't do it with a nonprofit. Set aside some hours to volunteer every week and go do that and then start your business because you, you have to make the money before you can get away, give it away. Yeah. So th- that's something I, I think organizations that advice can benefit from as well as individuals. So the seventh principle is social responsibility, taking care of the community, and that's what's embedded in the co-ops. But yeah. I do like make the money first. And then as a board, figure out how much money you keep in the business because you got to yes. keep, you got to keep money in the business. The business has got to grow. Right. How much you give to the community and how much you give out of dividends. But that's the board deciding that or the members, depending on their bylaws, who decides that. We only have about three minutes left and I really want you to talk a little bit about what you see the future happening with small businesses and particular co-ops. Well, with cooperatives, it, uh, it's, it's really hard to say starting a small business and running a small business, even if you're a co-op, if it's in a sense, it's easier in a cooperative because you're sharing labor, right? You're sharing the work amongst people, but uh, it's still a lot of work when it's new because there's constantly problems to be, to be solved. Now, the future, I don't, I don't know. I wish, I wish I had something wise and useful to say. Running a small business is really hard. It's a lot of hard work. All I can say is, is you have to keep learning. You have to keep getting better as a business owner and collectively as the business owners of a co-op. Learn more, understand more, uh, get more financially as well as, as well as say, business savvy in whatever sector you're in, whatever you're selling. Um, and the excuse that you're too busy is not an excuse. You can't use that excuse. Employees can use that excuse, not owners. So if you're, a worker, if you're a worker cooperative, you're all owners and you all must learn. That's the fifth principle of cooperation is training information. Yep. You have yep. to continually learn. That's what I'm getting. Learn, learn, learn. Any last message Learn besides learn, learn, learn in 20 seconds? Um, you know, I get a lot of questions from people like, oh, when will uh, the SBA do this? Or can Con- was Congress going to do this and Congress going to do that? And I always find myself thinking, why am I – I find myself giving a, a quick summary of uh, ninth grade civics, which is, look, Congress is in charge. We're not. So does your congressperson know who you are? I know you know who they are, maybe. You can find their name. But do they know you? Got to go now. I'm sorry. Yeah. Get to know your congressperson. Everybody out there, live cooperatively this week, and we'll see you next Thursday. Thank you, David, for being on.